Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we have the awesome opportunity to talk about the triumphal entry, which is an important moment in the life of Jesus as it starts his last week on earth. Well, at least his last week before he died. Jesus starts from Bethany, the place of Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. And in the Mount of Olives, he starts his descent down towards Jerusalem. From this launching point, he begins to enter into the holy city. Jesus tells two disciples to go and gather a colt. These two disciples get the donkey. Jesus then, riding on this donkey, which fulfilled messianic prophecies, and, of course, was just another symbol of who he was, rides into Jerusalem. Alongside the road Jesus rode on were tens of travelers who had traveled many miles to be in Jerusalem. Millions of people were gathered in this city to observe the Passover feast. We don't know the exact number, but surely thousands of people lined the road in expectance of the arrival of the Messiah. They laid down their coats, they laid down palm branches cut from trees, and they cried, Hosanna, which means God save us. Some made remarks about Jesus' Davidic ancestry and said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees, when they heard this, told Jesus to quiet his disciples because they were speaking blasphemy. Jesus responded by saying that if they would keep quiet and not offer their praise, then the stones themselves would cry out. The Pharisees responded by murmuring to each other that the whole world had gone after Jesus, and they were afraid to do anything to him, although their ultimate plan was to kill him. The narrative of this triumphal entry ends with an interesting moment, though, because Jesus, at some point, being separated from the crowd, weeps over the city of Jerusalem. It seems as if this entry was a great demonstration of Israel's acceptance of the Messiah, but Jesus understood it to be what it was. Much like if you can remember Peter trying to stop Jesus from traveling back to Jerusalem, or maybe if you can remember way back the followers in Capernaum who just wanted the loaves and fishes, these people were not understanding the spiritual component of the kingdom Jesus was offering. They wanted to be freed from Roman occupation. They wanted to be freed from this life of hurt, harm, and oppression that they had come to know. Here was Jesus, God manifest in flesh, offering reconciliation to these people. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was doing signs and miracles and so many wonders. But here he is riding on a donkey, and they choose to reject him because it didn't look the way they wanted it to look. This is a fascinating moment in my opinion, in the life of Jesus. He's surrounded by those chanting his name, chanting his ancestry and his claim as being the Messiah and praising him even for all the wonderful things he had done, and he still weeps. Because to some, this would have been a picture-perfect moment of acceptance, but Jesus truly saw the selfish rejection that lay underneath. Many did not want to change. Many of these people did not want to repent. They didn't want to deny themselves in order to accept, through faith, this reconciliation Jesus was offering. They just wanted reprieve from their oppressors, the Romans. 
if you can remember back, they were like the people who just wanted the loaves and fishes. Jesus goes from this moment of entry to the temple, and again, he casts out all of the buyers and sellers, and he overthrows the tables of the money changers. He kicks over the seats of those that sold doves and says to everyone that my house should be a house of prayer, but it's become a den of thieves. Jesus, after possessing this temple, many blind and lame comes to him and he heals them in the temple. After this moment, Jesus went back to Bethany. Another time during this last week of Jesus's life before he would die, he's then in the temple again. He's then in the place of all the people in. And he's called in this moment, if you could say it, into the court of public opinion. And he has his authority essentially challenged by all of the groups of religious elites who resisted him. The priest asked him by what authority he did the things he did. The Pharisees and the Herodians tried to get him to offend Caesar so that they could take that and use it as a claim that he was trying to usurp the Roman government. The Sadducees tried to make Jesus look foolish or unlearned because of his opinion on the resurrection of the dead. They essentially asked a crazy question about a woman being married to someone, and then she uh, suffers the loss of her husband dying, and then is remarried. And basically, this process happened successively six times to six of a guy's brothers after each one dies. And then they asked Jesus, what's going to happen in the resurrection? Who is this woman going to be married to? And Jesus actually shocked him with his answer, as he did many times into all other groups, because his answer actually showed that in the resurrection there would be no marriage. And he told them furthermore that what's really the heart of the issue is that they don't believe that a resurrection is possible. But of course it's possible because God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. After this, a lawyer asked him a leading question about the greatest commandment, to which Jesus replied to love the Lord and then love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the last moment of Jesus enduring these leading questions from all of the religious elites. Jesus then told his disciples at the temple that the temple was going to be destroyed one day. That one stone would not be left upon another. And he told them about the tribulation and about what would happen in the second advent and how many things would happen when the Son of Man returns for his people. Jesus then, after teaching about this, has the interaction with the fig tree where he curses the fig tree for not bearing forth the fruit it should. And this goes back, of course, to what John spoke about, how the axe was laid at the tree, and that whoever didn't bear fruit would be cast down and thrown into the fire. Jesus then, of course, is making it clear that the Pharisees and Sadducees, all of those religious groups, had not brought forth the fruit of repentance that they should have. And so ultimately, the city was going to be judged. The people were going to be judged. Jerusalem would ultimately be destroyed. Jesus then would teach more parables, and he taught about the servants with the ten talents. He taught about the bridegroom coming to the house with the ten virgins. He taught about many other things. After this period of teaching, Jesus tells his disciples that the Passover was going to begin in two days, but he's going to have to be crucified. And all of the people begin to conspire against him. Jesus is anointed by the woman with the alabaster box, and Judas thinks, if you can remember that, this money should not have been used on honoring Jesus, but it should have been given to the poor. Judas is rebuked by Jesus, and straightway he goes to the chief priests and makes a deal to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We can see from this narrative, Judas was, of course, expecting an earthly prominence 
from this connection to Jesus. And when he didn't receive it, he sold Jesus out. Finally, after this moment, Jesus goes to the Passover with his disciples. And here at the Passover, which is such a significant event in Christian history, he gathers with his disciples in an upper room. During this meal, Jesus takes out bread and wine, blesses them, and gives them to his disciples, telling them to take and eat. This is my body. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' words about this bread and wine is where we get communion today. Because also at this event known as the Last Supper, Jesus predicts that one of his disciples would betray him. The disciples are shocked and saddened by this news, and each one asked Jesus if he was the betrayer. Jesus then identified Judas Iscariot as the one who would betray him by talking about dipping the bread into the sop, and he tells Judas to do what he's going to do quickly, and Judas leaves to carry out his plan. After this meal of the Passover, where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, where he partook of the sacrificial lamb that he really was going to become for them, he travels with his disciples then into the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, and he begins to pray fervently. We'll talk about this story more in depth on our next podcast episode, but what are some of the takeaways from this narrative of really the first part of Jesus' last week on earth before he would die? The first takeaway really goes back to Jesus' reaction to Israel's rejection. He rode in on that donkey as a symbol of peace and as the Messiah, and although it seemed like they were so receptive of him, he really noticed the underlying unbelief and rejection. And this is true in our lives today, and we all know it. Sometimes we can profess to be one way, but really and truly be another way. And we've got to remember that Jesus is not convinced by the palm branches. He's not convinced by the coats in the road, which were used to show that a conquering king had authority. And he was not and is not convinced by the words of Hosanna on our lips. But he wants to change our hearts. He doesn't just want to be the king, but he wants to be your king. He doesn't just want the public praise and the public posturing of what a Christian should be, but he wants to make a change on the inside of every person. And ultimately, he stands at that door and knocks, just waiting to be let in. Next takeaway is, of course, the deep symbolism and the truth today that Jesus is our Passover lamb. We drink of his blood and we eat of his flesh. And it's as he instructed us to do. And so what's going on here? Is Jesus a cannibal? No, of course, he's not a cannibal, but he's talking about the blood being applied. That can happen through the process of communion, and we should do those things to identify, but ultimately, the blood is applied through a different process. And we don't just get to ignore this command from Jesus. We can't just be in it for the blessing. We can't just be in it for the loaves and fishes or the reprieve from Roman rule. But we have got to be covered by the blood of Jesus. This will involve us going through a similar process that he had to go through, that through our repentance we can identify with the death of Jesus. Through baptism in the name of Jesus, we can identify with his burial, going down in that watery grave, and ultimately through receiving the Holy Ghost, we can identify with the resurrection of Jesus, when the Spirit of God literally indwells in us. That is how the blood is applied today. 
And Jesus is talking, of course, not specifically of these events because they hadn't happened yet. Acts 2 hadn't happened yet. The upper room hadn't happened yet. He hadn't even been resurrected yet. But he's leading them to a point of understanding that they are also going to have to follow him through a death, through a burial, and ultimately into a resurrection. And when you take your eyes off of the other things of life, when you get them focused on Jesus as the door, as the entryway into your relationship, no one can ever snatch you away from his hands. But you're in that again, that place of eternal safety through that process of the blood being applied. I hope you enjoyed talking today about the triumphal entry and the Passover and and obviously some other narratives mixed in between. These are such powerful examples from scripture leading up to ultimately the most powerful moment in the life of Jesus, which we will talk about soon. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible, and I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time, but in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.